they say kidney stones are more painful than uh, childbirth, if you can believe that. I suppose people who have had kidney stones uh, would think that. This is Who Cares About Men's Health, uh, Men's Health Essentials. We're talking about kidney stones today. Is there anything you can do to prevent them? Uh, and uh, we've got the cast and crew here today. My name is Scott Singpill. Uh, I bring the BS. We've got Dr. Troy Madsen. He is the MD to my BS. Hey, Scott, I've never given birth to a child, but I imagine it's painful, and I imagine kidney stones are much more painful. Producer Mitch is also on the show. Hey, I'm, so I'm looking at this pain scale, not to like derail too far, but like out of 50, a kidney stone says it's 42, and childbirth is a 32, oh. and like a really bad toothbreak is a 19. <laughs> oh, wow. Like, I guess I'm, yeah. I'm excited to hear more. Uh, Dr. John Smith, the urologist, he's going to help sort us through the kidney stones. How are you doing today? Oh, living the dream, gentlemen. Thanks for having <laughs> me. You ever have kidney stones? I have not, but I've seen enough patients that have that I drink four liters of water a day to make sure I don't have one. <laughs> it's one of those things where when you see somebody that has it, you start doing the things that are going to prevent you from getting them. Is that is that actually one of the good things to do? Is, 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 is it caused by not drinking enough water or can you prevent them from drinking more water? Absolutely. So the uh, the old Chinese proverb of the solution to pollution is dilution is correct. <laughs> I love is, that, that. is that a Chinese proverb? I don't know. I, yeah. It was told to me when I was training by one of my mentors and he said it was a Chinese proverb, but it doesn't sound like one to me. It just sounds <laughs> okay. like good advice. Yeah, That's sure. funny. So you've heard that in your urologic training and then I hear it all the time with toxicology, with overdoses, the secret to pollution is dilution. So anyway, yeah. it, it, it crosses multiple specialties. And the orthopedic uh, colleagues will say when they're rinsing out a joint that's infected that that's the uh, the solution. Yeah, so. there you go. So with kidney stones, what's what's causing those things? Is it because of something I've eaten or something I'm doing or are they more hereditary or what's the story on that? Yes. Okay. <laughs> well, no, that's that's a good, really good question because I got a buddy. He he's a listener, and I don't want to go too far into it, but I've seen him go through kidney stones. It seems like he gets them every single year, and I know he does a lot to drink all his water. He's done some things to change his diet, but he still gets them. So what what could be causing them other than lifestyle? I guess. So. I don't know. Troy, do you want to jump in here? Because I'm happy to go over my spiel that I give my patients who are the chronic kidney stone guys and even the ones who are first timers. Yeah, uh, no, I think we want to hear that, don't we, Troy? I mean, I yeah. could listen to Troy anytime. I don't always get to listen to you, <laughs> Dr. Smith. Oh. Scott gets tired of listening to me, so please go on. And that was some shade, Scott. Wow. <laughs> um, no, so <laughs> kidney stones, when I have folks that come in and we talk about kidney stones, there's a couple of different reasons that people get them. And I'll usually for folks that are first timers who've never had a kidney stone before they meet, like, let's say the other day I had a patient in his mid forties who came in, never had a kidney stone. And we started discussing stones. Um, most commonly for folks who aren't predisposed genetically or have uh, some kind of a metabolic issue, it's usually a hydration issue. And so dehydration will put you at risk for stones. And I usually use the analogy of if you ever made those salt crystals or sugar crystal things as a kid where you had that pot of tons of salt or sugar and you dipped a string in and you made those crystal things. You guys ever do that? Yeah. yeah. Yep. That's so what's going on? It's similar to that because the more the the more concentrated your urine is, the more stuff there's in there that could form a stone. And all a stone is, is a, it's a crystal that forms and it's made of different material. The most common ones are calcium based. And so a, a dilute urine 
will not form a stone the way that a concentrated urine would. So that's the first thing I tell people to do. Um, is to drink plenty of fluids is going to keep them from having a concentrated urine. That's number one. And I usually say there's four things that you can do to prevent a kidney stone, regardless of the kind of stone you make, regardless of why you get them. Number one is hydration. And I usually tell people you want to make at least two to two and a half liters of water or excuse me, of urine per day. Now that's a hard one to do because nobody just measures their urine every day. And so that generally means- I mean, what what are we doing with the metric system here in America? Come on. (laughs) Well, but in medicine, we use the metric system, unfortunately. (laughs) But uh, I usually tell folks, if you go to the, if you go get those big packs of water at like Costco or the supermarket, those are, those are a half a liter each. Those 16.9 ounce uh, bottles are a half a liter each. So oh, you should like be drinking. A, yeah. One of those big those sodas. Those are two liter bottles of soda. Now, now you're talking. Sure. See now, now we're talking things. So if you drink at least six of those a day, your body uses between five and 750 milliliters of uh, fluid a day for metabolic purposes. And so you're not making urine out of that. That's just what you need to be alive. And so anything above and beyond that gets turned into urine. And so that's why I say you need to drink two to three liters of water per day to make, you know, two liters of urine. You've got to drink, you know, around three liters. Now, Scott just mentioned he's going to go start drinking those two liter bottles to measure it. What about drinking soda? Is that going to increase your risk? So it can, depending on uh, the type of stones you make. Obviously, the more stuff you have in your body that your body has to metabolize and break down and put into the urine, the more stuff is in your urine, the more likely you are to make a stone. And so for some folks, they're really predisposed to that. So it can make a difference for them. And for other people, it may not make a huge difference. And so, you know, that's something where when we get to the diet related stuff, I usually mention, but the first thing is just drinking plenty of fluids. The second thing that anybody can do would be to decrease the amount of salt in your diet. Um, And so that means soda, oftentimes diet soda in particular has a ton of salt in it, as well as other processed foods or, uh, you know, pre-made stuff that you buy at the supermarket has a ton of salt in it. And those things, uh, your body gets rid of excess salt in the urine. And oftentimes the other solutes, the things that are going to help uh, make stones will follow that salt out uh, into the kidneys in, and make urine. So that's another thing that you can avoid. The third thing you can do is avoid uh, animal protein. Now that doesn't mean beef. It means any kind of animal protein, fish, pork, chicken. Uh, those create a high acid load in your system and decrease the pH of your urine. And when your urine pH is decreased, that increases your risk of stones. Stone formation increases when you have a low pH in your urine. And that leads into the fourth thing that I usually tell people is alkalinizing your urine in some way with lemon, lime, fresh fruit, berries, things that have citrate in them. That will cause a base to form in the urine and increase the pH. So those are the four things you can do without knowing what kind of kidney stone you have. If you've never had it analyzed and you have chronic stones, those are the four things you can do to decrease your risk of stones. So coming back to our core four, our kidney stones are caused by the types of foods that we're eating and drinking. It's totally diet based, right? So not necessarily. Obviously, the dehydration thing is huge, but someone who has... So Mitch's, Mitch's buddy probably has a metabolic issue where his urine uh, makeup predisposes him to having stones. And so oftentimes for folks in that situation, we'll do a 24-hour urine test and look at what's in the urine and what's spilling into the urine 
to see what's high levels, if there's high levels of calcium or high levels of, you know, certain chemicals, um, high levels of nitrogen from animal protein, uh, high, high levels of just salt and different things that can predispose you to having stones. We definitely look at those. How, how much does genetics play into whether somebody develops kidney stones or not? Because I would imagine that there are plenty of people that aren't drinking water and eating high salty foods that never get stones. Or is that not true? No, I think there is definitely a genetic component. How strong it is, is very difficult to kind of put your finger on. The literature shows that there can be some predisposition for folks who have family history. And I've seen that anecdotally in my practice. Uh, folks who come in at a younger age with you know stones oftentimes have family members who have uh, chronic kidney stones. So I definitely think there's a correlation for those folks. Absolutely. And you talked about the different kinds of stones. What, <laughs> what, what's that about? Well, so there's a few different kinds of stone. The most common are calcium-based. Uh, there's calcium um, stones, multiple different kinds of calcium stones. But the important part is, is they're made with calcium. Um, now, that doesn't mean don't drink milk, don't eat calcium. You actually want to have a normal amount of calcium, but not overdo it and not underdo it, um, which has been a misnomer for people. They're like, oh, I'll just stop drinking milk. I'll stop eating calcium and it'll fix my stone problems. And it actually has been shown to make it worse in some of the literature. So you don't want to cut that out completely, but you also want to make sure that you're um, not eating other foods that may you know, be problematic. So Calcium oxalate are the most common types of stones. And uh, when you have a high oxalate diet, so coffee has oxalate, tea, spinach, um, dark green leafy vegetables um, have oxalate in them. There's other foods that have oxalate. Some people will say, oh, you got to go on an oxalate free diet. When in reality, um, if you have calcium and oxalate in your gut, your gut can bind those things and it actually gets put out in the stool instead of going into the, into the system. That's why you don't want to cut out calcium completely. Um, and so there's, I mean, there's a lot of dynamics to kidney stones um, that kind of make it difficult and knowing what type of stone you have can be helpful. So the calcium stones, we can kind of base things on diet. The other type of stone that we see in folks is uric acid. Those are probably the second most common that I see. Uh, those ones can actually be, uh, quote, melted uh, with medication and, and alkalinizing the urine, making the pH of the urine go up. So that's one where if we know that someone makes those and we keep their urine pH up, we can decrease the size and the amount of the stones that they make uh, with the pH of the urine. Which stones are the prettiest stones? <laughs> they're all beautiful. Of course. They're 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 all, they're all terrible. Um, well, the calciums are kind of nice and shiny, and it almost looks like a like a pearl. You know? Are think, you serious, yeah. Troy? Do they really? I don't know. No. <laughs> I thought, maybe you knew. I just know they show up really well on an X-ray. They do. They do. That's the calcium. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how how they look when they come out exactly, but. Uh, I can say hearing this though, it sounds like, you know, the key is like you said, John, drink lots of water, try to avoid eating too much meat, avoid salt, fruits and vegetables. Yeah. Those are the keys. I mean, that's just kind of gets back to a lot of what we talk about, just healthy diet in general. But, you know, hearing this, I, I can tell you that we talked just a little bit about the pain with kidney stones, but I can tell you when I see someone in the ER with a kidney stone, I don't know that I ever see anyone on a regular basis in the ER who has more pain than a person who's there with a kidney stone. Like you can tell you walk in the room, they're writhing, they're like pacing around the room, kind of holding their side. Um, it's just incredible pain. 
And every time I see them, I kind of have the same feeling you do that it's just like, hey, I want to do everything I can to avoid this. And if it means drinking tons of water and just watching my diet, it's well worth it just because that just looks absolutely miserable. So what are some of the symptoms, I guess? I mean, we're talking about the pain itself, but like, and how to prevent them. But what are the actual symptoms? Is it just like, I got pain in my stomach or where do we feel it and things? Well, I think Troy could probably answer that because he has them come in. But usually it's a it's a pain in the flank, which is kind of the the upper outer portion of your back on either side. And as the stone kind of travels down the ureter, uh, that's that pain can migrate to the low back, even into the groin. And I usually tell folks, you know, when stones are sitting in the kidney, they don't usually cause pain because they're not obstructing, they're not bothering you. But when they start blocking the flow of urine and they get into the ureter, the small tube, your body tries to get rid of that by, you know, peristalsing just the way it does when it moves food, uh, you know, through your intestines. And so at that time, you know, the, the stone, once it gets into the tube is where you start to have the pain and it's usually starts in the flank and then moves down. Yeah. And that's exactly what I see. People are kind of holding their side. So like if you were to kind of reach around, hold your sides of your abdomen, that's typically where they're feeling the pain. Like I push on their stomach, their belly doesn't hurt. They're not really tender, but it's just like a deep, severe pain. And they'll tell me it comes and goes. It's sharp. Uh, sometimes it's better. Sometimes it's worse. And it's, John, exactly like you mentioned, that spasm where that ureter is spasming. And, um, and that's when they really seem to have severe pain. And then uh, is the treatment painful too? I mean, is this the double whammy of not only does the thing hurt, but the treatment's going to hurt bad as well? Well, what Troy does for people doesn't hurt. They really love Troy. They don't like it when they come and see me after they've seen Troy. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I Troy just give him pain meds. <laughs> <laughs> and then you send him to John. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, it's, it's great though, because there is a non-narcotic and non-steroidal anti-inflammatory medication uh, that we give intravenously. And it just works beautifully for kidney stones. So it's not like we're just knocking people out with narcotics. Some people need yeah. narcotics, but so many people, I give that medication and they're just like, wow, I feel better. Um, and then what's so, the, uh, what's the treatment then, Dr. Smith? So there's a couple different treatments, depending on where the stone is at and different things. I mean, there's a little bit more to it. Here's some nuance, but if it's moving down and it's relatively small, oftentimes we'll offer people to uh, pass it on their own. We call it medical expulsive therapy. It's not pretty, um, but it gets rid of the stone. And so we give them some medication to help uh, the stone pass. And uh, after we do that, uh, we let them kind of do their thing and pass the stone on their own for a couple of weeks. And if it doesn't pass, well, then we bring them back and we offer them surgery. Um, stones ugh. that can be, go ahead. No, I just went, ugh. Yeah, yeah, ugh. yeah. Ugh. Two, two weeks of that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have to say <laughs> anything Horrible. other than, ugh. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'll give them, I'll give them a little bit more than two weeks if they're really confident that they're passing it and they're, you know, they're not wanting to do anything surgically. But the other options that we have are if the stone is visible on an x-ray, just like uh, Troy alluded to earlier, sometimes we can do what's called a, a an extracorporeal shockwave lithotripsy. It's uh, Some people just refer to it as lithotripsy, where we use an external shockwave beam to break up the stone, and then you still have to pass the fragments. Um, and that's oh. only if we can see it on an x-ray to target and hit it. So those are my two options, either give birth to that stone myself or <laughs> no, no, there's other options. I'm just saying those are the, oh, those okay. are the two yeah. I'm going from least invasive to most invasive All right. here. or get them busted into shards or have surgery. That, yeah. That's more reasons why to drink more water, I guess. Exactly. That's 
Yeah. So the third option that I offer folks is called a ureteroscopy laser lithotripsy, where we go up with a small, <laughs> thin, flexible camera and we find the stone and we blast it with a laser. Um, that sounds badass. It's, it's, pretty, it's, it's cool. all pretty yeah. cool, but like miserable. Like- <laughs> yeah. And usually with that, they have to put what's called a stent, which is a small, thin, flexible plastic tube from the kidney to the bladder. And they are miserable. And I always tell patients, it's miserable. You keep it in for about a week to let things heal, and then you take it out in the office. And um, I, I think, Scott, when he thought that was really cool, I think it's probably worth telling him how you get the laser up to the stone. <laughs> oh, no. Oh. no, I'm good. I'm good. You're good? good. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, there's no cutting, Scott, so you can use your imagination. <laughs> yeah. 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 I just thread that thing right up there, huh? Yep. Yep. Just, uh, <laughs> just like throwing darts. Hmm. And and then the last the last one thing that we do for stones uh, as they've gotten if they've gotten too large to pass and they're in the actual kidney we can do uh, what's called a percutaneous nephrolithotomy. Uh, they use the the term PCNL because it's way easier to say, and that's where we make a small incision in the back, and we go into the kidney and we actually are able to remove the the stone in larger pieces that way. Um, that's obviously the most invasive way to do it. And we do that for much larger stones. You've got to have a stone that's, you know, a couple of a centimeter and a half or larger, um, or at least that much volume of stone in the kidney before we would contemplate doing that. And Troy, can these stones get so bad that you're going to see somebody in the emergency room that has to have emergent, emergency surgery because they just can't urinate anymore? I can't say I see them where they can't urinate because usually it's just in one of the ureters. And so the other kidney is working. Um, although you could have it, I guess. I've rarely seen it where it's so bad that you can really see it's impacted their overall kidney function. Um, the more concerning thing I see is when you get an infection along with the stone. And those are the cases where they're definitely admitted to the hospital. But yeah, if, if it's a really large stone, like John mentioned, uh, usually the cutoff we use is six millimeters. But even there, I think sometimes our urologists will say, oh, give it a little time. Let's see what happens. But they've got a big, you know, centimeter and a half stone just lodged in there. Um, yeah, those are cases where the urologist will admit them and do something sooner rather than later. Good point, Troy. When you have an infection above the stone blockage, those folks can get real sick real quick. And those are the people that emergently get surgery. And oftentimes we don't treat the stone immediately. We treat uh, the infection. We put a stent in and give them antibiotics and come back another day to take the stone out because they're just so... Uh, fragile as far as their their health goes at that point that oftentimes they need antibiotics uh, to clear out that infection before we're able to treat the stone. Um, but Troy's right, you know, anything five millimeters and under uh, have, you know, a 75 to 80% chance of passing on their own. Now that to be said, I have folks who come in with two millimeter stones who are unable to pass them and folks with, you know, seven millimeter stones that pass them and, and they said it wasn't a big deal. Um, so again, it's all relative to the patient, but once you get these larger stones, definitely surgery is much more, uh, frequent for those folks with larger stones. Hey Mitch, we're wrapping this up. Uh, do you have anything you'd like to share? Uh, I'm just, I'm just very uncomfortable and like trying to drink my water off camera. Like that's, that's what I'm doing right here, right now. You went and got some more water. Huh? I did. I did. And I'm, you know, saving everyone from the sipping noises, but yeah, no, a refill was necessary. So these uh, lifestyle changes that we make, Dr. Smith, um, like, is there a percentage of uh, reduction of risk that they will do that we know about? 
That's a tough one. I, I don't know that there's an actual percentage of risk. Mm-hmm. I would say, you know, when you do it, if you are a chronic kidney stone uh, patient, we usually follow your 24-hour urines to check your risk assessment. But folks who have a stone and pass a stone and then hydrate themselves can really reduce their risks just by doing those things. Um, the the big thing is the, the numbers that I know and usually quote people is if you have a kidney stone that requires surgery, 50% of folks who have that issue will have another episode of a kidney stone within a year. Uh, and so that's why I usually tell folks, you know, the more you can do to uh, drink and, and keep them away, the better off you are. Well, it was uh, a fun topic. I still don't uh, know which stones are the prettiest stones, uh, which makes me a little bit sad, uh, but that's okay. Dr. Smith, thank you so much for being on the show and educating us on uh, kidney stones and telling us what to do. Uh, you would you like to summarize, Mitch? What are you going to do? You're going to drink water? What else? I'm going to just drink all the water and I'm going to like make sure that I'm not uh, having too much salt in my diet. Watch the processed foods. And watch the what processed else? foods. I need to eat less taquitos. Um, and maybe uh, a little lime in your water. It sounds and, like is that right, yeah, Doctor Smith? Get that, yeah. get that, get that pH down. Is that yeah, what that's? That no, that's getting you. that pH up, isn't it? And no, P- yeah, pH up. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So preventing right. scurvy and rocks in places I don't <laughs> want rocks. Gotcha. <laughs> Doctor Smith, thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for caring about men's health. Troy Scott Mitch, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for having me.